0: Be to his glory. So let's turn in your turn in our Bibles. Turn in your Bible or your Bible app or Pew Bible to Romans chapter eleven. I'm going to read now from uh, verse thirty two. Romans chapter eleven, verse thirty two. I'm going to read till chapter twelve, verse one. It Says, for God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth! of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To God be glory forever. The message today is that God is deserving of all glory. And that it is through the biblical, Protestant message of salvation that God receives all glory. First, let's turn to God again in prayer. I'm going to ask him that God gives us understanding. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that uh, for those who are your children, you've given us your uh, Holy Spirit to guide us and to uh, soften our hearts and to help us to submit to your word. Help us this morning to um, to come with hearts ready to uh, submit and to worship and to obey, Lord, uh, help guide my words so that uh, I might be faithful to your text, and uh, so that uh, and help us to be able to uh, s- see and treasure and seek the glory of God. I pray this, Jesus. Name. Amen. Uh, before we go on, I, d- I do want to give. Uh, caveat, I guess, um, we will be talking about the Protestant Reformation, and that does mean talking about uh, Roman Catholic theology. So we will be talking about uh, Roman Catholic theology, uh, I hope it doesn't sound uh, antagonistic, um, I'm trying to be uh, fair and uh, and not misrepresent them. Um, and if you feel like uh, perhaps it could be more generous, I'd be willing to talk about it afterwards. But uh, it's a, it is a difficult. I know that lots of people have different opinions on how we should be interacting with the Roman Catholic Church, especially uh, when it comes to partnering with them in different causes or, uh, or how we should be relating to their institutions, chur- uh, schools, et cetera. All right, now let's go to Romans. Uh, In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a church that he didn't plant, but he hopes to visit, and he introduces himself and outlines for them the message of salvation, the gospel. Paul outlines to the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ from chapters 1 to 8, and then from 9 to 11, uh, Paul has been delving into the issue of God's plan for the Jewish people and how it relates to his plan for the other nations, the Gentiles. And as Paul wraps up this section, he's about to transition into a, an extended section on the Christian life. But before he does that, Paul writes a passage of praise to God. And in this passage, it ends with verse 36 For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. Our sermon today is really about this one verse. The message today is that God is worthy of all glory, and that in the message of salvation, God receives the glory that he deserves. God is worthy of all glory, and in the message of salvation, God receives the glory that he deserves. Three points. Uh, Point number one, God deserves all glory because everything is from him. Point number two, God deserves all glory because everything is through him. And point number three, God deserves all glory because everything is for him. Everything is from him, through him, and for him. Uh, point number one, God deserves all glory because everything is from him. From him are all things. In verse 33, Paul praises God saying, Oh, the depth of the riches of God. God's riches are never-ending. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and he owns everything. He never needs anything. The psalmist writes that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. We, on the other hand, are not like God. We need everything. We come into this world helpless, needing everything in our lives to be done by someone else. And we often... We often sadly leave this life the same way. Every one of us owes somebody something. God owes nobody anything. Paul asks in verse 35, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And these, echo, these words echo God's words to Job. In Job chapter 41 verse 11, where God says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God owns and has all things. Therefore, God is always the giver. God is not like the other deities of biblical times, the idols that needed people to serve them and to make them and to house them. In the book of uh, Acts, we find uh, a sermon from Paul in Athens where he explains this in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 25. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything you have is from God, whether you think your life is good, whether you think it's bad, Everything and anything good in your life is from him. And this is especially true in salvation. See, the issue of salvation is our guilt. We are by nature and by choice guilty before God of rebelling against him and disobeying him. We come into this world with a death sentence that says guilty as charged. And we need that judgment to be changed we need to be declared righteous and innocent. That is the problem. And many people and many religions through the years have think they figured it out. They'll just do enough good things that the judgment will, will be reversed. And then they'll go into heaven. And th- this is exactly the type of thing a human would make up. But the book of Romans has systematically been explaining that we have no ability to present God with anything. That could get us off the hook. We need a perfect salvation from outside that only he can provide. Uh, and this is what the Bible calls justification. It's what the Protestant reformers were fighting so hard to defend. Justification is when God declares us righteous on the basis of a righteousness that is not of ourselves, but from God. It's when God declares us righteous on the basis of a righteous on the basis of a righteousness not of ourselves but from God. This is justification by grace alone through faith alone alone. We do not become righteous by doing anything. We are counted as righteous as a gift and we receive this gift not by works but by believing in Jesus. And here's how Paul explains this righteousness earlier in the book of Romans. If you flip back a couple pages, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who, believed, who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, we need to receive a gift of righteousness through faith alone, through trusting in Jesus. This understanding of salvation flows from the truth that from God are all things. Since all things, including our righteous status before God, are from Him, God deserves all the glory. One evangelical pastor puts it like this, the giver gets the glory. If justification is in any sense from us or from something we do, God is not glorified and we have something to boast about. And this is why the Roman Catholic understanding of justification is so offensive to God. In Roman Catholicism, justification is a process in which God makes us holy through us receiving his grace by fulfilling the sacraments through the Roman Catholic Church, through baptism, confirmation, the eucharist, the eucharist, penance, anointing of the sick, holy orders and matrimony. And Just to read from the Roman Catholic catechism, you can see this on uh, the Vatican, Vatican's website. Uh, this is what it says, the Catechism says about justification and righteousness. It says, The grace of the Holy Spirit has the power to justify us. That is, to cleanse us from our sins and to communicate to us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and through baptism. Elsewhere in the, the Catholic Catechism it says, The Church affirms that for believers the sacraments of the New Covenant are necessary for salvation. See, Roman Catholics insist that salvation is by grace, but that the righteousness that justifies you is your own righteousness that you receive and is uh, nurtured through the sacraments. But Paul insists that the righteousness that justifies us must be a gift, not of our own, Paul writes of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 2. You look a couple verses later. Chapter 4, verse 2. For if God, if if God, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If God is to declare us righteous, forgiven his children, it must all be a gift. It must all be from him. And this is very, very good news because we are all guilty before God. We don't live up to even our own standards of morality, let alone God's perfect standard. We need him to provide a way for our death sentence to be taken away and for uh, for the verdict to be a declaration of innocence, a verdict, a declaration of righteousness and adoption as a child of God. If you have not received this righteousness by faith alone, today can be the day of salvation. Today you can repent of your sins, turn from them, confess them to God, and receive as a gift the righteousness that is by grace alone, through faith alone. Today you can cry out to God for mercy and receive the gift of peace with God. It's that gospel that glorifies God as the true giver of salvation. God deserves all the glory because everything is from him. Point number two. God deserves all the glory because everything is through him. Sorry, just a second. Through him are all things. Something that uh, the Roman Catholic Church and Protestants have historically agreed upon is the deity and humanity of Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father is the creator, but the Bible says that the Son is the one through whom all things were created. The Gospel according to John, if you turn to John, chapter 1, John chapter 1 starts... With these words, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This has been speaking of Jesus. Everything is through Jesus, through God. And the Apostle John extends this past creation to our salvation. If you look further in that uh, chapter, it says, verse 16, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Salvation is not only, salvation is only through Christ alone. And the way that this works is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, Earning that righteous status that we need God to give us in order to be justified. And Jesus Christ died on the cross, a perfect death, fulfilling that obedience and taking on in himself the anger and wrath and judgment of God that we deserved. Flipping back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, again, uh, in verse 23, it says. of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just because he punishes our sins and fulfills his justice in the death of Jesus Christ as a propitiation, as a wrath-satisfying sacrifice to God. Now, Roman Catholic teaching says that believers can be forgiven and assured of eternal salvation, but that they are still temporally punished for their sins. And this is what is behind purgatory. Again, from the Roman Catholic Catechism, it says, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. And later it says the church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. Now even with that distinction, the Roman Catholic Church, even though it insists that salvation is through Christ alone, uh, it says that we must still be punished for our sins, though temporarily. And if this is true, then salvation is not through Christ alone. The teaching of the Protestant Reformation is that the faithful are righteous before God and that punishment has been satisfied in Christ. But do we believe that? Do we believe that God is satisfied in Christ? Or do we see our lives now as a sort of purgatory where God is punishing you for your sins? you are a Christian. You are holy and blameless in God's sight. God loves you. And this is through justification. Through faith alone. uh, Through Christ alone. Because salvation is through Christ's work alone. Jesus is worthy of all glory. And this is said well in uh, a song from John's vision in Revelation chapter 5 where it says in verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Christ has demonstrated that all things are through Him, and therefore He is worthy of all praise and all glory. God is worthy of glory because all things are through Him. God is worthy of all glory because all things are from him. God is worthy of all glory because all things are through him. And finally, God deserves all the glory because everything is for him. Uh, this one would be longer, so uh, I don't think I'm almost done. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, all, To him are all things. All things exist for God. We exist for God. God does not exist for us. Heaven and earth exist to declare the glory of God, and we exist to bring him glory. Now this is true simply by the fact that we are his creation. We often talk about human rights, but God has bigger rights. God has creator rights. He made us, and we therefore have no right to question him. God has creator rights, and as creator... God chooses to use us for his various reasons. And he has the right to have all things for him, including for some condemnation, and for others, justification and sanctification. And I want to consider these three things. First, God, God can use us for whatever, however he wants, and God has the right to use us for condemnation. And when he does so, he shows his perfect justice by sending sinners to hell for eternal torment. Here's how our uh, church's statement of faith puts it it says, in our statement of faith, we believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment. God does this to show his justice. Sinners in hell exist for God's purpose. God has complete creator rights to do that. And Paul defends this in Romans chapter 9, where he says in Romans chapter 9, if you turn there, it says in verse 21, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? God is the potter, and we are the clay, and he therefore can use the clay for whatever he wants. And God chooses to condemn some to hell. But God also has the right to use us for justification. In justification for the faithful, God gives us Jesus' life, gives us Jesus' death, and he gives us Jesus' righteousness. And through justification, God uses us for his purpose of mercy. Paul explains this plan by continuing. This is in Romans chapter 9. Next verse. Uh, In Romans chapter 9, verse 22, it says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy? which he, had prepared, he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, from all, but also from the Gentiles. This is amazing, because God can use us however he wants, but he chooses to use the faithful for justification, which means that he gives us mercy and grace and love. This is good news. And for those same people, God also uses them for sanctification. And sanctification is the process where we become holy through God's Holy Spirit changing us. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in us as we follow Jesus by faith. And what that looks like is by worshiping God through living for Him in everything that we do. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, uh, going to this topic of the Christian life, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul tells the Roman Christians something amazing, that because of God's mercies, we can actually give our lives to God as holy and acceptable offerings of worship. Our whole lives, from the moment you wake up to the moment you lay down to sleep, it can all be uh, spiritual worship to God through a life of obedience and faith. This should be very encouraging to Christians. If you are a Christian, this means that whether you're waking up, feeding your kids, you're going to work, you're going and working an honest day's work. You're reading the Bible, praying, being a good friend to others, especially those in the church, providing for your family, playing with your kids, giving help to those in need. Uh, these, All these things are pleasing acts of worship to God. God is happy. God is happy to accept your obedience and faith as acts of worship that make him happy. The reformer, John Calvin, puts it this way. Calvin says in his Institutes, No task will be so sordid and base, provided you obey your calling in it, that it will not shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. Again, this contrasts with Roman Catholic teaching. Roman Catholic teaching uh, makes the seven sacraments the source of spiritual life. Baptism. Baptism confirmation, the Eucharist, the celebration of Mass, penance, where you confess your sins and and then have to do something as satisfaction to remove the temporal punishment of your sins, anointing of the sick, where a priest anoints your head with oil if you are sick or dying, holy orders where you become a deacon, priest, or bishop, and matrimony, marriage. These seven things are the way are the ways that God gives you grace, infuses grace into you so that you can be acceptable to Him. The Reformers saw that, instead, that in the Bible, Christians are already accepted by God through justification. And so all of life, all of life can be worshipped to God as He sanctifies us. Now I'm not saying that there aren't specific things that God tells us to do in the Bible. And I'm not saying that those things aren't special. But what I am saying is that the Bible teaches us that a single woman who cleans washrooms at night by herself can glorify God just as much as a pastor or a missionary if they are living for God, being transformed by His Holy Spirit in their character and actions. Now, we don't always think that way in evangelicalism. In our specific corner of evangelicalism, we can sometimes get confused. We have very specific ideas of what a life of worship looks like uh, to God. Some, some of us think that good Christians, a life that is worshiped to God, is where you are well-educated, you get married, you have a responsible number of kids, Then they go to good schools, they get good jobs, they excel at everything they do, and then you responsibly go to church on Sunday and tithe your 10%. On the other hand, there are those in evangelicalism, in our corner at least, who think that what good Christian living looks like are people who become pastors or missionaries, live live purposefully in the worst parts of the city, purposefully neglect things that are worldly, like uh, studies or uh, saving money, and think that anybody who lives a normal 9-to-5 job as a computer programmer and lives in the suburbs is worldly and will be greeted by Jesus very promptly with, I never knew you. Both these views say that our lives are only acceptable to God if we do certain things. And this comes very close to the problem of Roman Catholicism. It threatens the centrality of the gospel and it attempts to make us, to give us something to boast about. The truth of the gospel is that God's mercies make us acceptable. God accepts us and he transforms us more and more into offerings that bear fruit, uh, bear the fruit of holiness and obedience. God uses humanity however he wants, some for condemnation, But others, he uses them for justification and sanctification. Again, this demonstrates how worthy of glory God is. God is worthy just by nature of the fact that he created everything for his purposes. And especially the fact that his purposes include his amazing grace and his love in justification and sanctification demonstrate how worthy of glory he is. God is worthy of all the glory. Everything is from him, everything is through him, and everything is to him. And God's worthiness of glory cannot be divorced from the message of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That gospel ensures that God gets all the glory. Now before we go into a time of uh, worship and in music and, in, and by taking the Lord's Supper together. I want to again give a reminder about why we worship. Because the Roman, the Roman Catholic Church might not be as crude as it was in 1517, but their theology has not changed. Indulgences are still being offered. An example that came up in the news back in 2013, was that the Vatican released a decree offering indulgences to those who participated in World Youth Day in Rio de Janeiro. It made the news because you could participate through social media. Like you could follow through live streaming and then receive an indulgence. So this is in 2013. And this is uh, what the decree from the Vatican said. Again, you can read it on the Vatican website. It says, those faithful who are legitimately prevented may obtain the plenary indulgence as long as, having fulfilled the usual conditions, etc., they follow these same rites and devotional practices via television and radio, or always with the proper devotion through the new means of social communication. And this got a big got in the news because it said that you could participate through Twitter. But that's not the big deal. The bigger deal is that more than 500 years later, or... 500 years later, indulgences are still being offered. Rome still motivates their devotees to service and obedience and participation through offering relief from punishment and purgatory. The the Catholic Catechism says an indulgence is obtained through the Church, who, etc., intervenes in favor of individual Christians and opens for them the treasury of the merits of Christ and the saints to obtain from the Father of Mercies the remission of the temporal punishments due for their sins. Thus, the church does not want simply to come to the aid of these Christians, but also to spur them to work to works of devotion, penance and charity. But God is not glorified when we do Good works to get out of punishment. As As those who believe in the Protestant gospel, we are not driven to earn God's mercy, but to respond to God's mercies and to continue to live in the power of His grace. If you are a Christian today, we will continue to worship, we'll continue to worship by singing, by praying, by taking the Lord's Supper, by eating together after service, by loving one another and by going out and living for God, but not to make satisfaction for our sins. God is already satisfied in the work of Jesus Christ. God does not need us to satisfy him. He satisfies us and it is the sufficiency of Jesus that makes Jesus worthy of glory and worthy of all our praise and worship. Gonna call up the worship team, and I'm gonna pray. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Uh, help us to. In our hearts and in our theology. And our understanding of Your Word. Help lead us. To live in a way that, we do not seek to boast. In anything else. Christ, we pray that you would be glorified. That you would be glorified in our our justification and in our sanctification. We pray that in all things that we would seek that you be the one who looks amazing. And we thank you that you are amazing. You've given us You've given us salvation through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, uh, help us to go out uh, and live and offer our lives as acceptable, holy uh, offerings of worship to you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be continuing our worship of uh, our great god through uh, seeing